That certainly was a beautiful song, Victory in Jesus. And, well, we we have trusted in Jesus, and, and we have the victory. So uh, praise the Lord for that. So regardless of whatever happens in the world from this point forward, uh, living in the season that we're living in, my question is, are you ready for the Great Reset? And that's going to be the title for the next two weeks. We're going to be working uh, in verses, rather chapters 17 and 18 in the book of Revelation, uh, basically an overview. And I want to take um, an opportunity to do this overdue, uh, this overview in the next two chapters. In light of the times we live in, they basically go together as they deal with the judgment of Babylon the Great, which we can also name the New World Order. Chapter 17 deals with the religion of that one world order. And it's given to us in verse 5 of chapter 17, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So I'd like to start with reading the chapter. We'll, We'll deal with chapter 17 this week, and then we'll deal with chapter 18 next week. So let's start by reading the chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple, the scarlet color, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into petition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life and the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which has wisdom. Seven heads of seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. There are five kings, rather seven kings, five have fallen. And one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was, and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, shall give their power and strength unto the beast. He shall make war with the lamb. The Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. As he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, they shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beasts, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. 
chapter 17, Revelation. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the reading of Scripture today. We thank you that this is the plenary verbal inspiration of the Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God breathed and powerful and effectual so that it can save souls from eternal damnation. And I ask your blessing today upon your word to all of our hearts, Father. May you open up our understanding and the power of the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and to know what these words mean. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 17 will deal with this demonic religious system, which has been around and goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 10. It gives um, this, uh, this chapter here will actually give us its location and as well what characterizes this false religion. You know, Satan had to find a way to unite the world together. And there's no better way to do it than religion. Because religion, whether it's false or it's truly the religion from the Bible, um, it draws people together. Especially if we look at it from the false religion aspect, um, especially where it gives people a license to sin. They like that type of religion. Now, if you think about Babylon, there are three in the Bible. Um, Babylon, by the way, is mentioned 300 plus times in the Bible. Uh, if you think about Babylon in three ways, you think about Nimrod. He, he united people using false religion. He was able to unite people to build a tower to heaven based on their own works, which really we're talking about here is uh, human deification, with one person leading them, which was Nimrod, of course, whose very name means tyrant and oppression, and that's a good prototype of Antichrist. Then you have, of course, Babylon too, with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who, when he was at his most prideful state, he looked at all he built, and he said, if it wasn't for me, these things should not be, just uh, paraphrasing here, but right from that point, God took him down till he knew who was the Most High God. And then you have, uh, of course, well, first of all, I just want to say that God used Media Persia to take that mighty Babylon in one night. Take them out in one night. This goes to show you, no matter how powerful a nation you are, like America, uh, God can take you out without even you knowing it. And unfortunately, of course, we're pretty sure that's what's happening in America today. Then you have Babylon 3, which will be actually in our chapters 17 and 18, which will be the last time, really, that the world will see of this uh, evil empire. So if Babylon, which is the second most mentioned city in the Bible, represents the city of man, which it does, and it shows a man's attempt to proclaim his own sovereignty, then you have to have the first most mentioned city, is Jerusalem, which is uh, mentioned over 800 times. That represents the city of God. And Babylon, with all its evil, will try to take out the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel and God's chosen people. For Israel is the apple of God's eye. And they're gonna, uh, Satan and his, uh, his clan will uh, try to stop the plans and purposes of God. Um, and we can... Um, you know, go back all the way to uh, Jerusalem where it's called Salem, Salem in Genesis 14 and it goes all the way to Revelation 21. So the whole world, really, if you think about it, that 48 acres, they want that city, they want Jerusalem, see? And Je Zechariah 12:2 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. And, and God will do that. 
See, he, he's going to draw all people in this system to Jerusalem so that when Jesus comes back in the parousia, the second coming, he can take them all out right there. See, Satan wants that city, and he wants to kill all the Jews. See, uh, Hitler failed to do that. He killed six million. And uh, just like Hitler, he, he's not going to be able to have that city. But Jerusalem, uh, rather, uh, Jeremiah 37 says the tribulation is called even the time of Jacob's trouble. But he, Jacob, another name for Israel, shall be saved out of it. So regardless of how much damage they try to do to Jerusalem and the nation of Israel, he shall be saved out of it. That's God's word there. Now, if you think about the Tower of Babel, um, Nimrod actually deified the creation, and he was seeking to replace God and bring mankind together. So you had the political aspect as well as the spiritual aspect. And that's what we see here. We see here the spiritual or the religious aspect in Revelation chapter 17. Let's read verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels who had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And if you think about um, when this judgment started, and by the way, uh, chapters 18 to 19 are parathetical. They're in between the judgments of God. If you go to verse uh, 17 of chapter 16, here it is right here. The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven, saying, uh, from the throne rather, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And there it is. The great city was divided into three parts, and actually I believe that is Jerusalem. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every mountain, rather island, fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail for the plague thereof was exceeding great. We have this judgment here. And um, what you have is then chapter 17 and 18 um, will show that judgment and, and kind of draw it out a little bit to give us some information. But the seventh bile or the bold judgment causes a great earthquake. And many think this would be a 10 on the Richter scale. I mean, the biggest one ever on planet Earth. Big enough to separate the city in thirds. And verse 21 shows that there's a great hail that falls from heaven. It weighs about a talent. And uh, for my uh, look into the study of the weight of a talent, it could vary. It could go down to 56 pounds and all the way up to 130. And my Bible has it at, at around 100 pounds. I think that's probably safe to have it in that vicinity. But I mean, any, you know, anything over a couple pounds of hail, it, but even more so with the weight of a talent, would do great damage. So an angel will show John the judgment of the great whore is that it's a false religious system who sits upon many waters. And, of course, uh, verse 15 gives us the interpretation of that city. If you look at um, Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, um, it says, the, uh, first of all, go back to verse 1. It says, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Well, what is this many waters thing? Well, verse 15 says, He saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the horse sits, what are they? Well, they're peoples, multitudes, 
nations and tongues. And basically, you can figure the whole earth, uh, you know, all people um, throughout the whole world. So um, basically, that's what it is. So in verses 2 through 6, let's just uh, go to verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, let me just say that there is a lot of physical fornication, not only in this false religious system, but basically in the world itself. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, that's, that is involved here, absolutely. But you can add to that, um, the worst part is spiritual fornication. Um, the worst kind from God. This religious system, when tested against the Word of God, it fails in every respect. And it's a counterfeit of the true church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. This beast is no doubt the same one of chapter 13. And this harlot is coming to its end of its dominance of the civil power. See, God's going to use the very civil power that this beast sits on, this, this woman sits on, to destroy her. See, Babylon really became the fountainhead of idolatry, by which every false religion sprang out from. And the mystery of iniquity, which we know about, of course, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, see, was already at work back then from that time. If you've ever heard of a man by the name of Justin Martyr, he lived approximately from 100 A.D. to 165 A.D. This man was a philosopher. And he couldn't understand why they were killing Christians, because these people were the salt of the earth. And these people were joyful, and they had um, great joy. And yet, uh, because they believed in a certain person by the name of Jesus Christ, they were killed for it. Many were burned and tortured. Matter of fact, Justin Martyr himself would be martyred, and uh, because he heard he, when he when he seen these people being killed for just their believing in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he wanted to hear what the gospel was, and when he heard it. He accepted it and received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Praise the Lord for that. But um, he was able to write down before they martyred him what really was going on in that society. And he says this, I quote Justin Martyr here, he says, The image of the Queen of Heaven with the babe in her arms was throughout that whole area. And though the names of the religions changed in different lands, basically... False religion started all the way back and originated with Nimrod. Now, the way it goes is uh, the way that the explanation for that religious system talks about a woman by the name of Semiranus and who had a son. His name would be Tammuz. Now, if you want to read a little bit about that, uh, chapter uh, 44 in the book of Jeremiah talks about this queen of heaven. And they believe that that's religious system that we're talking about that goes back to Nimrod. Then you have Tammuz, which is in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 8, verse 14. These are all things that are in the Bible. And say they all went off Genesis 3.15, which built it on the promise of the woman's seed. So see, this woman would be who they would consider would be the fulfillment of that prophecy, which you know it isn't. It was Mary. And uh, and the seed, of course, was Jesus. So they're saying that Semiranus was the woman and the seed was Tammuz, and that's their false religion. Um, so the minist- uh, mystery of iniquity was at work even at that point. So what religion so prominent today do you know that has images or statues <coughs> of a woman holding a baby? <coughs> Excuse me. 
Um, do you know of any religions that have a woman who holds a baby? A religion that the kings of the earth come on, uh, committed fornication with, like we have in verse 2 here? It says right there, the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Do you know any religions where they have done that? And then the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Uh, this religion that he's talking about then would be a delusional religion. It's like those in it are actually drunk with her idolatry. Um, the word for uh, fornication, of course, is pornea, which is adultery. Now, in my studies, I have found that the wine that it speaks about in verse 2 would be the doctrine, that false doctrine. So when you get to verse 3, he says, He carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And um, John gets carried away. And notice where this religion is. It's, it's uh, in the wilderness. Uh, it's it's uh, separate from true Christianity. It's desolate. And she's, this woman here, this religious system, is uh, really... Uh, typified in this woman, and she sits upon a scarlet or red-colored beast. Now, this beast would be the beast system, the one-world system, the one-world order, so to speak, the great reset that I asked you about this morning. Uh, this beast supported her, and it gave her her power and validity. And this very religious system and its doctrines were in them, the kings themselves, and you look at verse 3, it says that having uh, uh, of the names inside, the, this woman had full of names of blasphemy, of blaspheming God. And they had, uh, she was uh, sitting on this beast uh, that had seven heads and ten horns. So uh, this, this whole system is failed. It's no good. It's full of names. They blaspheme God in every way. So you have seven heads and ten horns. We're going to look at that a little bit later. But go to verse 4. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Do you know many religions uh, that are visual where you could see their clothes and that maybe their clothes would be purple or maybe even the color scarlet, which is red? Do you know of any religions where um, perhaps maybe the religious leader is decked with gold that has precious stones and pearls on it? Now how about a golden cup? Look at that part there. Notice where it is. In her hand. So her hand, this religious system. Do you know any religious systems that have a golden cup? Perhaps maybe even um, a chalice that they use in their public worship every time they come together. But this cup really, we see, is full of abominations. And filthiness, it's full of her fornication. When they re-sacrifice Jesus Christ every time they come together. Because, of course, according to this religion, Jesus Christ failed on the cross. And if you did see, didn't see that, it happened actually in New York City when the very man, the, the head of that religion, said that Jesus Christ failed on the cross and all his people who were listening to that service, stood up and gave a standing ovation. See? And, and even though Babylon as a city had long been a memory, even here in probably 95 AD when the book of Revelation was written, her mysteries had not died with her. And that's why she's called, verse 5, mystery. Upon her forehead, just like the harlots in the days of Rome, and perhaps in this time, 
when they would, the harlots would have their name written across their forehead. And this name, though, was Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, uh, um, a true harlot to the true faith, and that's why she's called Mystery Babylon. And she's a true murderer of the saints. In verse 6, I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Here you can see right here. Do you know any religions, uh, uh, head of religions? And, and I'm not talking about the people in the pews here. I'm talking about the leaders of that religion. The ones that years for years, hundreds of years, killed those that were in Christ. She was drunk with the blood of the saints. She slaughtered Christians. She burnt them. She tortured them. And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, they spilt blood that would fill up um, perhaps a lake. I mean, so much blood. And John, when he sees her, he saw her, and I wondered with great admiration. He was awed at this, that people would actually think that this, that this religion that did this would, would be able to get away with it, to murder without any care to justice, no accountability, blood drunk, if you will. Well, he asked uh, John the question, uh, because John wondered here with great admiration, uh, great wonder, great amazement, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. He opens up the vision, say, about this woman and the beast that has seven heads and ten horns. Uh, and I believe this, uh, this ten horns that he talks about, um, if you go to, you don't have to write now, but read Daniel chapter 7, and there's an eleventh horn that sticks up through those ten. In verse 8, he says, The beast that thou sawest was... And is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. So the beast system of verse 8 that John saw was, that means that it had a season where it was already in power. And then it says, and is not, in other words, there would be a season where it was no longer in power, kind of like disappeared. And eventually he says, it's going to ascend out of the bottomless pit. So go to chapter 9 of Revelation. And let's investigate, because all the answers to Revelation are actually in the Bible. you just got to hunt for them. A lot of people say, well, it's so symbolic, I can't understand it. Well, you just got to use the Bible to find the explanations. So uh, chapter uh, 17 said that uh, it, came out, it ascended out of the bottomless pit, this beast here. Uh, go to chapter 9 of Revelation, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven upon the earth, onto the earth. And this star was when Satan, when he was cast out of heaven. And to him was given, here it is, the key of the bottomless pit. And what did he do with that key? He opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Well, what did this pit hold in it? And he says right here, verse 3, chapter 9, There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. So they came in to torture mankind for as long as five months, we see in verse 5. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion, like they get bit from a scorpion. 
And in those days men shall seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. God's going to allow this thing to happen. Well, I believe, of course, um, when we think about the bottomless pit, that that's what it is. It's Satan. It's the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. He went in to unlock that door. And then he opened up that pit for those demons to come out and torture man. And then it says after that, and go into perdition. He already has been judged. He just hasn't gone there yet. But it's so sure. It just says he's going into perdition. And they that dwell in the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life on the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. In other words, and yet is because he comes back. And they're going to wonder from the foundation of the word. The word for wonder is thalmazo. It means to admire the beast. Why? Because he yet is. He comes back into power. Surprises people. Verse 9. And there's, here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Well, that gives us the location. Now, if you want wisdom, you can have it right now. That's what he's saying here. The seven heads of the beast are seven mountains on which the woman, which is the false religious system, sits on. And these aren't my words here. They're God's. And I, there's only one city that fits this description where it has a religious system based in it. And it can only be one place. It can only can be in Rome. So this mystery Babylon, this false religion, is actually in Rome at that time when John is there. Satan's going to use that global religion, see, to unite the world together to make that one world religion. And, and it's going to be um, on the beast, which is the one world system itself. Now, if you think about um, the, uh, Roman Catholicism, it's 1.4 billion strong right now. Uh, that's just a, 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 an amazing amount. And if you think about the closest one to it, you'd have Islam at 1.2 billion. And um, so you have these two religions. Now, Islam, I don't know if you know, but it actually has an aspect of it that believes in Mary. And so that would be an easy one to draw them to. So if, if you could get Islam to unite with the Roman Catholicism, you'd have 2.6 billion right there. And that would... Um, include a lot of people in it if they could unite, or at least some of them would unite. And so we have this religious system which is really built um, during this time of the of the tribulation period. Uh, I just want to give you some information here. Three months ago, the um, pope that's in um, leadership right now is a man by the name of Francis. He said this, and this is a quote, most people in the world identify to be believers. This should lead us, in other words, the Roman Catholicism, to dialogue with the world's religions, which we have proof already that there has been much unifying of the world's religions together through this man, this Pope. And, and by the way, uh, he says we should pray with and collaborate with those who think differently. In other words, ecumenalism, which is not something that uh, we are told to do in the Bible, we're not to have fellowship with any unfruitful works of darkness. And um, now, let me first of all say I'm not a, um, a Catholic basher. Uh, I used to be a Roman Catholic, and I know a lot of good people in there, but they're deluded. And no matter how much sometimes you tell them these things and how simple really salvation is, is 
Um, and I'm not talking about easy believism either, but basically, if you hear the gospel message and you believe it, you receive Christ by faith. You trust in Jesus Christ. And um, if it's genuine, and if you do it with your whole heart, you are born again, you're saved. See, many people seek God in different ways. And, and uh, this Pope says, uh, um, you know, because of that, there's different paths to Christ. Well, there's only one path to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by him. Just make sure it's the right one. And there also is one certainty that, um, that this uh, Pope also said that we all have, he says there's one certainty, certainty that we all have, that we are the children of God. Well, is that true? Is that true? Because John 1.12 says, But as many received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. The ones that received Christ as their Savior, even to them that believe on his name. So in other words, before that, you weren't a child of God. And what were you? John 8.44 says, You are of your father the devil, because you abide not in the truth. And because there's no truth in him, he's the father of lies. He is the ultimate liar. See, and, and this system here, it doesn't operate in truth. It doesn't operate by the true doctrine of the Bible. See, Satan is the father of lies and his children are the same. Let me give you a little history lesson here. This goes back to the Emperor Gratus, which is spelled G-R-A-T-I-U-S. You can look it up online. Was the first to refuse the title Pontifus Maximus, which was the head of, which is also the king of the religion, but the head of the religion also back then. And he rejected the emperor worship. Why? Well, he was converted, converted to the faith. It was believed that he was anyway. At a very young age, he had somebody apparently who was guiding him. And he saw that Babylonian idolatry of that false faith. And, and actually back then it was even called Babylonianism. Well, when they found out that he didn't want that title, somehow he died at a very young age at um, 24, though... Um, he was uh, uh, killed, I believe, in 37, 8, 8, rather 378 A.D. After that, we have a man by the name of Bishop Damasus of the Christian Church in Rome. He was elected to the headship, and I believe maybe he could be called even the first pope. But from that point, Babylonianism was introduced into Christianity. And so the rites of Babylonianism came into Christianity. The rituals included worship and veneration of images. Do you know any religions that do that, that bow down to images? Also private confessions, penances, the signs of the cross, uh, Christmas, Lent, Easter, and much more. Lighting of candles and, and just various things, uh, genuflecting and, and, and then using other books as uh, teaching rather than the Bible itself. So when it says mother of harlots in verse 5, it refers to the, uh, if you look at verse 5, it says that the mother of harlots, it's, it's in an S. So there's a lot of false religions, see, the many branches of Roman Catholicism that sprang out from her, and also the many false religions that come into her. Now it might not be called in that day when this uh, last system comes up, it might not be called Roman Catholicism. Who knows what it's going to be called? But it refers to that, that there's a lot of harlots here. She's a symbol, really, of all the apostate, antichrist religions on the earth. So that link, they link together like a chain. And after the rapture of the church, when there's no truth being preached, they're going to unite to form that one world religion of that one world order, which we see coming 
very quickly on the horizon. We'll find out more about the other system part of it next week. So the woman sits on those seven mountains along with the seven heads. Oh, what's the seven heads here? Go to verse 10. Well, there are seven kings, five are fallen and one is, and the other is not yet come, and when he cometh he must continue a short space. So this, uh, seven, uh, these seven heads are seven kings along with the seven mountains. Now, uh, there were seven Gentile uh, kingdoms recorded in Scripture. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of Gentile kingdoms, but these here seem to be um, mentioned more in Scripture. And I want to just bring you back to Daniel 7, or actually, yeah, well, chapter 2 and chapter 7. But when Daniel was given the, uh, the four empires in Daniel, the book of Daniel, you had the four there that was Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and then, of course, Rome. But before Daniel came on the scene, there was two other empires that had had come and gone. One of them was Egypt, and one of those was Assyria. Those two seem to be the ones who are um, thought of when you're trying to get to the number seven, because they were um, quite powerful Gentile kingdoms during the biblical era. We know that Egypt was, and also Assyria too. They seem to stand out among all of them. So if you, Daniel didn't have those references, he wasn't there to bring those two up. But those would be included in the seven kings. So you have Egypt, number one, Assyria, number two, Babylon, number three, Media Persia, number four, Greece, number five. These five have fallen, and one is. So when John wrote this, Rome was still in power. And that's the beast that they couldn't even really uh, describe because it was really indescribable. And that's the sixth empire, which was at that time. So when he says the other uh, five have fallen, one is, Rome was. And then the other is not yet. Rome too, which is coming on the scene quickly, has not yet come. It had not come in, in John's day, and it has not yet come in our day. But we see it rising up. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So we're talking about the beast here. Because it says in verse 11, And the beast that was Rome, and the beast is not Rome when it no longer was, which it isn't right now. And he, been, he is the eighth and is of the seven. So the beast that the woman rides, okay, she, is, uh, she comes out of the seventh empire, which is Rome too. And of course, uh, he, uh, the Holy Spirit makes sure he reminds us, he's going into perdition. He's going into perdition and goeth into position, uh, perdition so that we can identify because Satan really has been judged. He just has not been put away yet. So uh, the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. That would be the, that one world empire, Rome too. So the ten horns of Daniel chapter 7, verse 20, in his vision there, um, the the Beast itself is the seventh world empire, and then the the uh, beast that was and is not even he is the ace. So the he is the antichrist himself. Now, First John two eighteen, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard, the antichrist shall come. They knew even then in ninety A.D. that he was coming. See, they were looking for the antichrist even then. That man of sin, the son of perdition, that wicked. I think he has like 27 or so names. It says he is of the seven. He rises up out of those seven world empires. And basically he's an amalgamation of all of them. He's, it's really those seven world empires just uh, mixed together into one. And it says he goes into perdition. And the word for perdition is apollia. It means destruction. That's his destiny. 
He's the eighth and final attempt of Satan to stop God's plan. It'll be the second time when Satan actually indwells a human being. The first time, of course, was Judas Iscariot. So all those seven Gentile kingdoms, those world empires, are summed up in this eighth kingdom. It's a, just a, you know, all of them united together. And it's when the sin of, the, what's it called in uh, Genesis 15 16, it's when the sin of the Amorites is full. Now, what are the ten horns in verse 12? Well, it says, uh, the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. So we know we're not in this system yet. See, there's never been a time when there's been ten kings who have been the, at the head of the, the world. And it says, they have not received any kingdom yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. One hour usually symbolizes a short period of time. And again, it's characterized by unity, these ten, uh, whether they're geographical regions or, or actually nations themselves, we're not sure. We haven't seen it yet, and perhaps we won't even see it. But uh, they only have power a short time, perhaps three and a half years with the beast, characterized by unity. Verse 13, these have one mind. See, that's what I mean. They're all united. And in their one mind, they give their power and strength onto the beast, the eighth system. So they're the seventh one. These ten kings are the seventh empire, and the eighth one is the beast, the Antichrist. Uh, and, of course, he is eaten and dwelt by Satan. So these shall make war with the Lamb, verse 14, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the Bible always encourages, especially in the book of Revelation, uh, we we got to figure that people are going to be reading this while they're going through this uh, seven-year tribulation, and that uh, they need some type of encouragement. And so um, the Bible is always encouraging that way, because the Lamb will overcome this system. He's going to overcome all of them. He is the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. And he is, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And they're going to they're gonna, uh, give their power to this beast. And Jesus is going to come back and squash him. He's going to fell him with one word. And it says that we are called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And being called, we're also chosen to salvation through sanctification and belief of the truth. Which salvation only comes that way. The Holy Spirit's work of sanctification. And when he is working on you, you believe the truth. He makes the gospel effectual and powerful. And he also says that those who are with him are faithful. We're faithful to hold fast the word of God which we, impart, we have been taught. And don't let go of God's word because that's the reason why these people are deluded. It's because they rejected the word of God. And we must not reject, reject the word of God. This is going to be a short war when Jesus comes back. We'll see that in chapter 19. But um, verse 14, uh, you know, it's telling us, it's encouraging us. And it's encouraging those who are actually going to have to go through the tribulation. And uh, we already went through verse 15 um, to describe uh, where the horse sits, which is, of course, the nations and peoples and tongues and multitudes. Um, In the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now, if you ever saw rodeos, and you see those guys who ride those bulls, it's the same idea. This thing, this beast here, gets sick of this woman. And, and uh, he, it just wants to buck her off. That's the idea. They're going to hate the whore. And in order for God to allow this eighth empire to begin, he uses those ten horns to destroy the one world religion. 
So it proves, uh, they're going to hate the Lord. It proves really that it is a religious system. It dominates them. And she sits on them. And, and they tire of her. And they turn on her. And when they give their power over to the beast, they destroy her. That's God's plan right there. And they shall make her desolate and naked. And her, shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. They're going to destroy her. And how? why did they do it? Well, very simply, verse 70. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill as well. And to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast. Until the words of God shall be fulfilled. It's God himself that made these ten horns do his will. A very clear statement of God's overruling and sovereignty among all nations. They give their kingdom to the beast. But only for the time that the words of God shall be fulfilled. And they will fulfill God's will. And it's his will that would be done. So the seven heads and the ten horns are a part of their Antichrist system. They are seven uh, Gentile empires. And uh, verse 12, they're only with this system for a short time. We believe three and a half years. Then once that religious system is bucked off, then you have the Antichrist can institute what's called the beast worship system, where they actually worship Satan for the last three and a half years. And it's very uh, amazing to me that um, this, the system is really known by three numbers, which is 666. And somehow that's going to be in that system. And I believe it already is through the uh, business aspect of it. So verse 18 says that the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigned over the kings of the earth. And John gives the description right there in verse 18. And if in any case anybody didn't have any wisdom... The woman talked uh, about the harlot, that great city, was Rome. And in the time of John, um, that's the woman here, it's Rome. It's that great city who ruled over the earth. That was in power at that time, in, in the time of John. So he reigned over, this, this Rome reigned over the kings of the earth at that time, and, and it will again. And I think that's going to surprise a lot of people. So, uh, just in summary, uh, this mystery Babylon in chapter 17, it holds power... In, for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, it does not so much, um, uh, you know, it is military force too. It's forced upon people, but it's by deception, it's by false doctrine, it's delusion, because the time will come, see, when people will not endure sound doctrine. And, and they turn their ears from the truth, and they get turned unto fables. And they were turned from the truth by the commandments of men. And they departed from the faith, really, and gave heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we see that, of course, outlined in Scripture in many places. Now, I'm going to deal more at length next week about the Great Reset, chapter 18, as this will come into being solely by deception. We see it even happening today. And the pandemic itself being used in this deception, and perhaps maybe either be another one, or they'll find some way to, to, to rework work this one out. I want to give you a quote by the director of the International Monetary Fund, a woman by the name of Kristalina Georgievia. She apparently is the director of the International Monetary Fund. She recently was quoted as saying this, Now is the great opportunity for reset. So then we know as uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Those who reject God's truth, the, the gospel, God's word, and reject Jesus Christ as their Savior after they've heard it and understood it. Because they rejected it, God shall uh, send a strong delusion 
and that they should believe a lie. And I believe a lot of people are already believing that lie. And those who have heard the gospel and understood it and rejected it, they won't have a second chance. And that's really the sad part right there. Because when God sends a strong, and the word for strong there is energia, it's sent by God, that's a judicial act of God. So that means uh, it cannot be turned back around. It's actually God who dispatches that working of deception. It's a working of error into the hearts of those earth dwellers who rejected his love when Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, the love of God, and rose on the third day according to the scriptures. Very powerful. This deception that God sends them will be powerful. And it cannot be overcome. Once God sends it, it's over. And we see time and time again through the book of Revelation that they repented not because they really couldn't. They rejected God. They rejected the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God made them believe the lie. See how important it is to pay attention to what God says. See, it's, it's not a game. We're talking eternity here. And mankind right now is playing with God's word. And all those who believe not God's truth shall be damned. Romans 2.2 2 says, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So now we know that God's word is not trivial. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's something that is happening more and more. Um, a lot of people have closed their mind to the gospel. I, I see it all the time. You tell them, and they just don't even hear you. And uh, Ephesians 1, 4, in closing, it says, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in what? In love. And that we should be holy and without blame before God in love. He's chosen us. And, and he's chosen us when we heard the gospel, we received Christ as our Savior. And with the direction that the world is going, if you haven't been focused in the area of holiness and living a life where nobody could say anything against you, this is the time now. And, and Paul, of course, includes himself here. Now, we know that God is holy. We heard about that in Psalm 97. And also we hear, see in the Psalms where it's, he's worshipped in the beauty of holiness. So then it only stands to reason if our Heavenly Father is holy. We want to be like him. Now, the tendency for some is, is if our salvation is fixed, and we are justified, and we are saved so that no one can change it, and God has us in his hands, and nobody can take us out, a lot of times what happens to that is they think you don't have any effort that you should do. And, and that because we are the elect, no matter how we live, you know, we can't lose our salvation. Well, if you truly are saved, you probably wouldn't think that way. Because the, Paul, the Apostle Paul would never have such a view. He wants us to know that uh, we are sealed unto the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit. And it's a great thing to know that. But it's written to excite us to the gratitude of thanksgiving to God for the very honor of being called His adopted children by Jesus Christ. So holiness then becomes not so much the cause as it is the effect of our salvation. And this is something that, this is the time now where we need to start focusing on that. See, God's design is that we be holy and without blame. And that he has graciously, he has graciously chosen us. It's for us to live holy lives dedicated to him for his cause. 
And we're going to be seeing some things happen. Now, the Lord, if the Lord does tarry while this system is being built up, he very well could because he's not willing that any should perish. So, And I'm like a lot of people here, I want more people in my family to be saved. I want them all to be saved. And I want people in this community to also uh, put, place their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I do want to, <laughs> I don't want to be here really any more than we have to be. But I understand that God is still doing a work here. We still live in the season of grace. This is the church age. And let's do our best to shine the light of Christ that's in our hearts to this dark world. And to give people hope. And, and for, for the cause of Christ. For the cause of God. Our lives are accountable to God by virtue of our faith in Jesus Christ. In love for him because he so loved us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. In closing. Teaching us this. In Titus 2.12 it says this. That denying ungodliness. And worldly lusts. We should live soberly. Righteously and godly. Even in this present world. And brethren. Uh, next week we'll do chapter 18. And are you ready for the great reset? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I ask your blessing upon your word to our hearts today. Father, I thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I ask your blessing upon your word to our hearts. Help us to live the life where that we are holy and without blame before you. And love not only to you, to each other, and to a lost world, but Father, for, uh, for your sake that we would spread the love of Christ in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you and yes, bless him now in Jesus' name. Amen.